And we are back with the Jader and Kyle Show, Episode 8, coming to you live. Uh, welcome, everybody. This is going to be a fun episode tonight. Uh, we got a lot of things to talk about. My name is Kyle, if you don't know that yet. We've been doing this for two months now. And uh, here, joined by my buddy Jader. Jader, what's going on, man? What up, man? What up? How's it going? I see you wearing that baseball shirt. Yeah, dude. This is actually a little quick shout out to uh, my girlfriend that got me this dope shirt. I was actually going to wear this at the Schmoldown, which I probably still will, but um it is from uh a league of their own and it's avoid okay. the clap jimmy dugan yep <laughs> <laughs> when he when he signs that to the ball the autograph ball so dope shirt I've, obviously we're gonna talk some baseball today uh yeah. so i felt it uh, appropriate i'm actually wearing this shirt for the first time right now i've been i was saving it for the showdown um because you know i like wearing uh movie related uh shirts or whatever right but whatever it is right yeah, good as episode as any it's a good foreshadowing because we're going to be talking about Field of Dreams later today, the movie you guys voted on. But we also are going to be talking a little bit other sports like The Last Dance. Uh, the Last Dance documentary was it's been huge the past these past couple months, and um, Jader finally caught up to it. So we're going to talk about it a little bit on here. But also we have some other DC news to get to. Last week we had a big discussion about the Snyder Cut. Uh, that news came out, and then a couple days later we had more news come out. And that was uh, Henry Cavill's back as Superman. This report came out from Variety, um, and they were saying that Henry Cavill is in negotiations to return as Superman to a DC film. Um, not a Man of Steel 2, but a cameo in an upcoming DC film. So I, I don't know about this news is weird to me because. Okay. Look at this part. Why is he gone? Why was he gone in the first place? That's my that's my first thought. It's like how can I shuffle feel around? like he was like I'm gonna be out before I get outed or fired. You get me? Like I don't know if that makes any any sense whatsoever. You can't um, fire me. I quit. That's pretty much pretty much. Um, I feel that this might start off as a cameo. I feel like this is like the biggest time ever for DCU DCEU fans to really demand a man of steel too. If anybody has the power to do that right now, it's the fans. Mm -hmm. um, I feel again, and I've stated on this show over and over and over again, how, how much I love Henry Cavill as, as soups. Um, so seeing that he's even coming back, I was excited. I mean, spoiler alert, even though the movie came out last year, last year, uh, Shazam came out last year, right? Yeah, 2019. Keep thinking it came out such such a long time ago and it didn't. Um, but that cameo that we got from Superman got me so excited. But at the same time, it was the biggest like tease ever, like worst case of blue balls um, ever, because I thought we were going to actually see Cavill in the suit, you mm -hmm. know, a little bit. But we didn't even get that. We, you know, I mean, if you saw Shazam, you see half of Superman at the end of the film. Um but even getting him a little glimpse of him here and there, that's something that's going to leave wanting more. And I feel like the studio will, you know, uh, react to that. I feel like we will eventually get Man of Steel 2 if demanded. And again, mm -hmm. I've stated a million times on this show how I don't understand how many other films are on, uh, like how many other people, uh, how many other DC films are coming out and we still haven't gotten the sequel to Man of Steel, which deserves one, you know? See, I don't, I don't think it's in the cards um, because when DC first launched their universe, they come out with Man of Steel, and then they decided to rush it to get to their Avengers level. They 
threw in Batman vs Superman right away with Wonder Woman in the movie, and then you just do Suicide Squad for no reason, and then here's Wonder Woman, Justice League, everyone's together, and it all kind of fell apart there when you should have been building up to it, and after it fell apart, they really decided to hit the reset button. Yeah, we got Aquaman, but Shazam wasn't really in the cards before. But yet we got Shazam moved up earlier. We were supposed to have a Flash movie by now. That was supposed yep. to be in 2018. We don't have a Flash movie. Cyborg yep. was supposed to come out this year. That, that was never going to happen. No, um, Cyborg, if I, I would have been pissed if we were on a solo Cyborg film before we got a uh, Man of Steel sequel. We got, we got, we got, and, uh, and I like Cyborg a lot in, yeah. in Justice League. He was one of my favorite things about that movie. Um, I like that he, a lot of, I, I don't know if it was you, but somebody said that he really didn't matter in the film. I thought he mattered a lot. You know? No, I didn't say that. No, he was actually very important in the film. He but was great. Really yeah, very important. I like that. Uh, but you can tell a lot of his parts were edited. There was a lot. I was expecting to see Victor Stone in a middle of a football game because we got glimpses of that. In the trailer. Uh, it was all over in the trailer. Cut, and I was waiting. I'm like, oh, man, we're going to see all that. He's going to look over. His dad's not there because he's, you know, working on, you know, we didn't get any of that. No, barely. They, they tried to make his father an important character in Justice League, and nobody cared. It just it didn't make sense. Um, but ever since Justice League, they course corrected. So we got uh, like a Birds of Prey, and the, all their movies, one after another after another, are actually starting to get good at this point. After Aquaman, in my opinion, you got Shazam, you got Joker, you got Birds of Prey. Three great DC movies in a row to me. So to me, they really course corrected. We've got Wonder Woman 2 is supposed to come out later this year. If this is the path they're going on, I'm not objective to it. It's just that I don't know if they're going to alter their course to go back to the old that they knew didn't work to give people a Man of Steel 2. You're already getting a Snyder Cut. You're not going to get a Man of Steel 2, in my opinion. Yeah, okay. So check this out. You mentioned all these films that we got after the fact that we still haven't gotten into Man of Steel 2, but you mentioned Suicide Squad, you know, Bird of Prey, Shazam, Aquaman, all, all that jazz, right? Um, I feel, and I've, again, stated this before, excuse me, they were made because of the popularity of the character in the film. Meaning, again, they made Suicide Squad because that I felt like Suicide Squad were, were in the plans. You know, it wasn't a movie that were like, hey, well, let's just do Suicide Squad out of nowhere. I feel like they didn't want to introduce the Suicide Squad because of Guardians, right? However, what were the popular characters? You go back and you see Harley. And I, we got a Harley Quinn. Birds of Prey, I feel, is the most rushed film. And that was not in the cards whatsoever. And that happened because of the popularity of the Harley Quinn and Margot Robbie nailing that role, right? Um. So I feel, again, if the people speak up and people demand the Man of Steel 2, which you know there's scripts throwing around. There's There has to be at least four to five Man of Steel scripts out there where they'll green light one, where it's not like, okay, let's wait for the perfect script. for. I feel like there's already one there, and if people demand it enough, we'll get it. You know? Well, look what, there, again, was rumors, look what there was rumors for a while that Matthew Vaughn was supposed to come in and direct it, and now... Today, I just heard about this just like maybe 10 minutes ago. I guess there's a rumor out there that after Warner Brothers brought in Bad Robot, J.J. Abrams is circling this project. If Circling Amanda Steele. Direct, to direct Henry Cavill as, now we don't know if it's Amanda Steele too, or we don't know if he's directing another movie and Henry Cavill will be in it, or just, I don't know, what have you. But mm -hmm. I did, I saw that rumor. I couldn't read on it because I, I told you I was at work. 
Um, but I saw that too. And that's what got my gears like really going. Like, I'm like, if people want this, I feel like we will have this. It will happen. See, that's the thing. Like, how many things are you going to get out of Warner Brothers? This fan base that's out there that's demanding stuff. You got your Snyder cut. Um, there's a lot of people demanding now a David Ayer suicide uh, squad cut that he so said. That was the ball. That's the curveball that I was going to throw at you because we, this obviously, we weren't going to really uh, jump on the air cut, but. It's out he, there. He's, yeah, it's out there. And he's saying it's not going to cost much to finish it. Um, we don't know how true that is. Uh, but he's been gun ho about that since Suicide Squad came out, saying that we did not see the film that he wanted to, that he intentionally uh, wanted, uh, I mean, that he made for us, for the audience. He mm-hmm. said that we didn't even get a third of what he wanted, that it was obviously chopped up and made into what it was. Um, so he's been very vocal about that almost as much as um, Snyder has been about his cut. You know, and the Snyder Cut got announced. You can go on Ayer's Twitter. That's all he's talking about. He's responding to everybody. He's commenting on posters and saying, like, yeah, this would have been in the movie. And, yeah, this is something that I had ideas for. And it's just you want to know what's nuts, to be completely honest with you. It's the two cuts of the films that is needed. Those are the bottom two films for me. Spoiler alert on uh, on my DC EU films. Those are for me bottom of the barrel. So why not see a better version of the film? Show me what you got. And especially now with HBO Max launching and everybody, I don't know if you've seen, I don't have it personally. I did browse through the catalog. Um, it has great things on there. It has a lot it's of classic incredible films service. It really, it's, there's it's not much incredible. original stuff, but there's, it's, it's, I honestly, I'm not going to, I signed up for the free trial. I just haven't done, I haven't sat down and watched anything. Dude, they got me with the Cartoon Network stuff with uh, Space Ghost, man. They have mm-hmm. Space Ghost on that. I love that show. It's so fucking cynical. Um, but I I'm saw the, uh, the, the I saw the the TCM catalog. That was awesome. That whatever's that's on HBO yeah. right now. That's it's, absolutely for me. I go on DirecTV and just go to Turner Classic Movies and go through on the guide for as long, ever long as they'll let me go and record movies over and over because I love classic film. And now that every single film that Turner Classic Movies has is on that service, I'm set. Like, that's what I need. They got stuff from all the way from Charlie Chaplin to Casablanca to the Dude, They have a great dictator on that, man. I was like, yeah. man, this is, they have a lot of Chaplin on that. So what better way than do this on a streaming service? You don't have to worry about theater. It's the smartest thing to do, to be honest with you. And if Air really, what Air is really saying that it's not going to cost a lot to make this film, let's have at it. How many people shit on Suicide Squad? Wouldn't you want to redeem and then have everybody on your side after that? Like, again, look what the ultimate cut of BBS did. It made the movie make sense. It made people actually enjoy that film. Now, is it perfect? No. But it's a hell of a lot better than the shit that we got in the theater, you know? So I feel like so, Warner Brothers. I want this to talk to you about uh, Henry Campbell himself. Go ahead. Uh, yeah, I just want to say I want to talk to you about Henry Cavill himself. Like, how do you feel about him as? I know you kind of said it already that you love him in the role as the character. Do you think he's better than Christopher Reeve? Because to me, my my thing is not with Henry Cavill. I really like. Uh, I think he's a great in the role. I'm not a big Superman fan, honestly. Um, I've always kind of looked at him as the stereotype of what people think of when they think of superheroes. The guy who's got really no weakness. He's the perfect. He looks great. He's got untouchable, unbreakable. And I like the more complex characters. To me, uh, 
Um, Superman hasn't ever been very complex until Snyder really did some stuff with him. They showed his weakness. And that's what I like. The world, the universe that we have him in, I've never been a big Supes fan. I have a Superman tattoo, actually, right? Oh, wow. But I, I got that for my son because I always called him my little Superman, right? Okay. And if you see, it's a puzzle piece, and that represents the uh, the awesome. Yeah. So he, I, that's this tattoo means the world to me, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and... But everyone tells me they're like, "Oh, but you're not." E-. When I when I got it, I'm. They're like, "You're not even a big Superman fan." I'm a fan of the character, but I'm a bigger fan of what what Snyder did with him because he turned them more. And he's not from this planet, but r- human, you know, like yeah. he, you know, obviously the end of Man of Steel is so controversial, and I that's one of my favorite things about that that movie was what he had to do. He had to kill literally the last crypto Kryptonian, right? Yeah, that, yeah. Well, uh, we're not getting into the Supergirl stuff and all that. You get me, but but um, I felt like that decision, meaning what 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 Superman stood for, had to be done because it was there was a kid involved about to get killed. You know, mm-hmm. so the Reeves version of it, I it's crazy because I do like Christopher Reeves a lot, and I get shit for this all the time. But Henry Cavill for me is these that my Superman. You know. And it's not a shot to Reeve. I love the original, uh, the first two films, at least. I love Superman 1 and 2, um, the the uh, Richard Donner films. Um, I really do love those films. But I'm an action, and I, I got, again, I like dark. And I've told you this a million times. I like when the films get dark. Um, and, and I felt like Man of Steel was that. Yeah. You know, without getting too crazy, it wasn't too dark, but it was still dark. Um, and... Everything about Cavill, I feel like Cavill looks like the cartoon version of Superman, you know? He does. Um, but now I kind of want to talk about, because this thing that this Man of Steel news, not Man of Steel news, but Superman news, is about a cameo. So where is this cameo going to come? If you look at DC's upcoming slate, uh, Suicide Squad, James Gunn's Suicide Squad, and Wonder, Wonder Woman 1984 are already wrapped filming. So they're out of the, the picture. Um, there's really no plans apparently for the Batman to have any really connection to this no. universe. So that's out. So that leaves Aquaman 2, Shazam 2, and uh, Black Adam. Those are your three really options right there. To me, it's it's easy. It's Shazam. Shazam. Yeah. Shazam. Yeah. Shazam. You put him in the first movie. Um, yeah. I would love to see that because Shazam, I, in my rankings, it's right there with Wonder Woman. I don't know which one's my best. I think I put Shazam at one because um, that movie's just such a blast. It's, it's great. It's I great. And, there, and it has a great replay value. Like you can rewatch that movie and have a great time every time you saw it. I, I, that movie gets better for me every time that I do watch it. And I it's, really, it's really, really love that. how a kid wouldn't act if he got superpowers. And it's such a fascinating look at that. Um, so if you put that dynamic with like a superhero who's not experienced with a superhero who's very experienced in Superman, that's going to be a lot of fun. So I don't know if it'd be a cameo. It'd probably be like a like a Tony Stark in the Spider-Man films. I could see that kind of role for Superman in a Shazam film. So that could be fun. And then who knows? Maybe it leads to bigger things. But to me, yeah, it's Shazam. I don't really see Aquaman 2. Um, I don't see Aquaman 2 happening for a little bit because it seemed like James Wan's talking about it a lot. You have the Amber Heard situation. I'm not really sure we're getting that. And then Black Adam. Black Adam could work too. I honestly think it, I was uh, going to say Black Adam could work to be yeah. completely honest with you, but I don't think they'll put uh, Shazam versus, uh, I mean, Shazam and 
Superman versus Black Adam. I don't think that's going to happen. Like two, uh, two, yeah. two against one, I don't think that's going to happen. And you put not- Superman in a Black Adam movie, what's the point of having a Black Adam movie? Just give me a Superman movie with Black Adam as the villain. And that's, that's what, what I mean. Have. Exactly. I don't think, I think the best bet will probably be Shazam. And when they talk cameo, it'll probably be a tease right at the end where they'll probably tease Black Adam, they'll tease Superman, the whole nine. And then, well, they see that would just lead up to him being on, uh, him being on uh, Shazam more than anything. I mean, not Shazam on um, Black Adam more than anything. So I don't even know. I don't even know where they would go. To be completely honest with you, I'm telling you, man. I feel like it's gonna end up being a Man of Steel too. Hopefully, that's my my wishful thinking, at least. You know. We'll see. I mean, a lot of people have been calling it for a long time. Um, and that script, yeah, like you said, that script's probably out there somewhere. And J.J. Abrams wants to do it. J.J. Abrams can do whatever he wants. Um, yeah. so does he want to make a Superman movie? We'll see. Um, but let's move on from there. Today's really a sports day, and we're going to talk a lot of uh, sporting things going on. And our first thing is The Last Dance, which was the Michael Jordan documentary that's about ESPN that took up the conversation for a month and a half. Um, ESPN moved up this documentary to went from June, or it was like either June or July, to April when the pandemic hit. So it became a, this big thing that people were tuning into every Sunday night to watch. And it's really so fascinating to me. I don't know what stood out to you, but it's fascinating to me that Michael Jordan's being so vulnerable, um, talking about his past. Now, I'm not going to say it's the best documentary. Um, I loved it. <laughs> I had a blast watching it. it too, but it's looking, very entertaining. It's looking very entertaining. back, man, I know more about his bodyguards than I do about his family. I mean, well, I, I feel like this should have been called The Last Dance. It should have been called I Took It Personal, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Everything. 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 I took it personal, you know, and I done, I, I dropped 64 on him, you know, that's all I needed. That's it. He says that so many times. Like, all yeah. I needed. yeah. So, I, so I don't know what, what was your, like, what was the one thing that stood out to you the most out of like what story or um, run or episode, like what stood out to you? Honestly, just everything as a whole, man. Um, how to be completely honest with you, I want to say he he was called the goat for a reason, you know, and that's one thing that that you can't take that away from that man, you know, playing who he played. Like I know a lot, and this is gonna have be the big comparison with with LeBron. Uh, give me, I'm sorry, buddy of mine, he's texting the, the link. You sent it. Yeah, I sent the link to. All right, cool. Um, so. Um, you know, when they were saying LeBron, you know, the comparisons are going to be nonstop. And I know, I, obviously, you know, talking about the last dance, we were going to have to drop LeBron's name here. Um, a lot of people, um, I, I even feel like uh, one of the episodes that I love the most, honestly, was the Kobe episode, you know, when they mentioned Kobe and all that. Um, and how he saw him as a big brother and a mentor and all that, which we all know that. Um but Kobe I love loved Jordan. Kobe was the, another version of Michael Jordan. Absolutely. Yeah. Everything he does. There's an interview out there with Jordan saying that nobody in NBA today could beat Jordan except for Kobe because Kobe steals all his moves. Like so Kobe just he he had the mentality that Jordan had, and that's what all these compare that where all these comparisons came from. One of the things that I exactly one of the things that I love that Kobe said on the documentary was um be like, oh, all my fans and, you know, uh, all the fans that I have and everything, they were like, oh, you can take Jordan one-on-one. He's like, no, man, like, I learned my stuff from him. 
you get Kobe because of Jordan, because I yeah. looked up to this man, you know, and it's one of, for me, that was like one of the greatest compliments you can get that another amazing player, you're the reason why he plays the way that he busts his ass the way that he did because of you. Yeah. You know, and then uh, it's such a, go ahead. Yeah, well, something else that stood out to me, I think one of my favorite episodes was the either the third, I think it was the third episode where it was the Dennis Rodman and the Detroit Pistons stuff, the especially, especially the Detroit Pistons, because seeing that the huge obstacle that Jordan had to get over to finally become the winner that he's supposed to be and how rough and tough those Pistons were like they were I, like this in this decade of basketball, they're like the um, the Boston Celtics that LeBron had to overcome in order to finally win his championship with the Heat, you know, or uh, the Boston Celtics that Kobe had to overcome to win his championships by himself, the Lakers. Um, so you could see how deep seated that rivalry became. You know, Isaiah Thomas wasn't even invited to be on the Dream Team, and Jordan says in his interview that he didn't uh, argue. He didn't argue or say that if Isaiah Thomas is on the team, then I'm not going to be on the dream team. If Isaiah Thomas is on the team, then I'm not going to be on the team. He said that in the documentary. Then an interview comes out just a couple days ago saying that uh, he leaked out it. that Jordan saying, if Isaiah Thomas is on the team, then I'm not going to be on the team. Yeah. So it's like, okay, well, what, how much of this documentary is actually true? Another fascinating thing to me is uh, the Nike story. I don't know if you caught this in uh, the Nike doc and the part, I think it was like episode five or six when Jordan's looking for a brand to sign with and everyone like Magic Johnson, Larry Bird are on Converse at the time. And, Converse, Converse is number and one he wanted it. Jordan wanted Adidas. And then, and then he, uh, Nike is the one that actually gave him a, a number and he did not want to even go to that meeting. He said that he was like, I don't want to be here. And his dad was the one that was like, this is the deal of a lifetime. What the hell are you doing? Yeah. You got to take it. And well, listen, well, think about it. Um, if Jordan goes with Adidas, does Nike ever become as big as Nike is? To me, is Jordan made Nike and Nike made Jordan. It was like a symbiotic thing where uh, if like, let's, if Jordan would have gone to Converse, he kind of would have gotten buried, but Nike and Jordan built each other up. But what if Jordan went to Adidas? Would Nike be as big as it is? That's, it's just such a fascinating thing to think about. Um, I'm going to bring in your buddy here. All right. Marco, what's going on, man? What's going Yo, on? You? Good, man. Good. Did Welcome aboard. Yeah. <laughs> it's been a long night. Actually, you can say what exactly what exactly did you say to me when I asked you if you saw the last dance last night? Can you say that? Repeat that for me. Uh, that it's arguably probably the best sports documentary I've ever seen. That's not what you said. So let me say. <laughs> well, Jader, um, Jader, you want to introduce your buddy first? All right. This is Marco. So no, <laughs> no this is a friend of mine. I mean, dude, how long have we been friends for, dude? Oh, man, uh, it's, it's been, been a long time. Years. Someone's Over 10 years easily, man. One of the greatest guys that I know, man. He, we became fathers at the exact same time. Actually, I never forget that call. <laughs> water in Detroit, apparently. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We went. Actually, I posted that picture today. Funny enough, that we that. went to a uh, we went to an Eminem concert in Detroit. We got to see Eminem and Jay Z live, front row, nobody in front of us. It was one of the greatest shows we've ever been to. Uh, and it was just a bunch of us guys, you know, it was a boys trip. It was amazing. Uh, we came back from Detroit and out of the five guys, four became dads. Yeah. 
in less than a year. Right. Yeah. So no, it's, it's, it's a kind of a nutty water over there, I guess. And no, no pun intended on the nut, but, um, uh, what was I going to say? So, yeah, so I asked him yesterday, you know, I'm like, Hey dude, you know, cause we are kind of talking about starting a podcast or so. And, uh, I asked him, I'm like, dude, have you seen field of dreams? He's like, who hasn't seen field of dreams? I'm like, I actually haven't, I'm going to see it tonight. But I asked him if he saw the last, I'm like, did you see the last dance Jordan documentary? And he goes, dude, I bought like four pairs of Jordans. As soon as the documentary. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he said that. I was like, you know what? I'm gonna have you on the show tomorrow because I know your passion for sports. If you want to give a little background on yourself before we continue, go ahead. I know you play some ball and all that, so uh, floor's yours, man. Yeah, man. Uh, so I've I've played sports my entire life. Uh, I think uh, got really into baseball. That was the one thing that really connected me to to sports overall. Um, just kind of like uh, father and son kind of kind of uh, connection, and I think that's why the field of dreams hits home. Um, you know, so I'll, you know, I'll get into that. But um, I played through high school ball, ended up going into uh, college baseball, both in Nebraska and Arizona. Um, so I got the opportunity to play there. Uh, and then I ended up actually playing in Dominican Republic for a couple of years um, and got to see what that was like. And that was that was kind of a uh, culture shock uh, to kind of go into what I'm used to in the States to then having to live in a room uh, probably no bigger than a, than a small kitchen uh, with about six other ball players. Um, so that was my experience with that. I mean, it, it list goes on, but, um, baseball was definitely something that I fell in love with and, uh, took it as far as I could take it. So yeah. there you go. All right. So you, you saw the last dance. Are you a Jordan fan? I am. You're a Jordan fan. Okay. Well, what's your uh, basketball team? Like, who do you root for? I vote, I, I root for, uh, for the heat. Currently, the heat. For the heat. Okay. Yeah. Like I'm, I'm not. I'm not a fair weather fan in that sense, right? Like okay. I've liked Heat since since Tim Hardaway. It's been a while. Yeah, it's been a while. Before right? the championships were won, we were watching Heat games. Yeah, yeah. So I've always been a Heat fan. It's funny because my parents, like I, I was born in New York, so everybody considers like I, my family's all Knicks fans. So the grain in that sense, the Knicks Heat rivalry, that was always something that was, I mean, always evident. So, but definitely root for the Heat. Yep. Okay. Um, so, so when you're watching this documentary and you're seeing all the, the steps of Michael Jordan's life and where he is today, what stands out to you the most? Because I was just talking to Jader about the um, how he signed with Nike and how he was so close to signing with Adidas. Yeah. And that would have just changed the course of history if Jordan signs with Adidas. Does Nike even become what Nike is today? I mean, heck, you're wearing a Nike shirt right now. Um, does it become as big of a global brand as it is if Jordan doesn't sign with Nike? I thought that was super fascinating to look at. And then I was just talking about the Detroit Pistons stuff, uh, how that obstacle that Jordan had to climb over to get there uh, really made him the winner he is today. But what stands out to you when you're watching this documentary? Believe it or not, I think some of the stuff that um, obviously everything that Jordan went through throughout that time. And I think um, what stood out to me, believe it or not, was how – Phil Jackson, like the coach, handled all these personalities. His leadership style was incredible. He's the um, GOAT. He's, he's amazing. Goat. He's amazing. We, know, we used to shit on him, remember, when we yes, were going for the Celtics. Why. That's why. We were shitting on the Celtics yes. because we, we would watch when the Lakers were – like how many how many series did we actually watch together, dude? We, we, would, all, we would all group up in one house. We wouldn't even go to a bar or anything like that. We just group yeah. up in the house and we would just watch the games. And I, I – Yes, I hated Phil Jackson. Like, I didn't appreciate him for what he did. I saw him as a coach that was just like, 
this cocky, like I got all these rings and I, you know, I got to coach Jordan and now I get to coach Kobe and all this stuff. But his mentality towards how he approached his players was something that I appreciated so much. Like the idea that you had Dennis Rodman, the idea that you had Michael Jordan and Scottie Pippen, all these different personalities uh, and the way you handle that, it's not easy. And and just the Zen master effect is is evident. Like it was just all throughout his entire in, entire presence on that team. It was just evident. It's what held the team together. I'm a huge Lakers fan, and I've been with that. I've been watching them since I think it was like 2008. And I was you know, have to see the Kobe years of uh, Phil Jackson holding that team together. And then you look back at it, what that team had. They had Metal World Peace and Lamar um, Odom. And, yeah, and Andrew Bynum, like these guys who are also very toxic too. So to see how Phil Jackson's able to control these personalities, it's like it's a respect factor. Because I think he won two championships as a player. Then you go and win six with the Bulls, and he went five with the Lakers, and it's like, geez, man, this guy is just—he's on another level. As far, like, he's like a basketball royalty almost. Um, when no, talk- he is. Thirteen rings ain't no joke, man. It's <laughs> Thirteen <a lot>. rings—that's. <laughs> but one of my favorite things, and I, I'm glad that we're talking about Phillips, literally was the first championship, right? And yeah, true, uh, true. Steve's a Knicks fan. Steve's a Knicks fan. That's the negative, but um. One of my favorite things was when Jordan was basically, you know, didn't want to pass the ball, didn't believe in anybody else during crunch time, right? And Phil was like, who's open during the first? And he goes, Paxton's open, yeah. you know? They shoot the ball to him. He makes the, he makes the, uh, the points. And Jordan kind of, I feel like, takes a uh, breather. Fire relief. Yeah. They win the championship. So you win when, he, when he wins the first championship, he, he's hugging, he's crying, the whole thing. Phil Jackson goes up to him and he goes, you did it the right way. That stood out to me like nothing else because he wouldn't have, he wouldn't have understood that appreciation, exactly. appreciation had it not been for the struggles that you had mentioned earlier with the Pistons, right? Like he had gone through all of that struggle, realizing I don't, I got to score 45 points. I got to score, I can score 50 points and I'm still not going to beat these guys. I'm not going to do it all by myself. So yep. to have somebody like, and, and, and it's not anything, not to take anything from Doug Collins, because Doug Collins did what he did because yeah. he had what he had. But mm-hmm. a bigger picture. And I think it's to, to, to your point where he's like, hey, look, you got Paxton open. You did it the right way. That's the way you're going to win games. So, yeah. yeah. And then you see it later on with um, when Jordan leaves the team, just like Scottie Pippen also becoming. I think Scott, this is funny to talk about because Scottie's not happy with the way he was portrayed in this. Yeah, so I I just read that. I read that about. uh, I read about that yesterday because my co. I didn't want to read anything of this documentary until I finished it. Mm -hmm. Um, So I was watching, and I again, I I didn't watch it on Sunday. I literally binged it in two days. and I was talking to one of my coworkers, a big basketball fan, and he was telling me, he's like, oh, he's like, you're liking that? I'm like, dude, I'm loving this documentary. And he goes, did you see how pissed off Scottie Pippen is? And I was like, no, I had no idea. And then he, he's like, look it up. And it wasn't him only. Of course, Grant. Grant is another one that was pissed off. And it was somebody else that's completely upset because of uh, he said it was disrespectful what Michael Jordan said about him. What, so I forgot who it was. But um, but yeah, Pippen doesn't like the fact. Huh? No, somebody else. It was uh, Horace Grant. Grant. It was somebody else other than Horace Grant. It was three players that are upset. Okay. Yeah, yeah, it was three players. But um, but yeah, it. I mean, what do you feel about that? 
you know, like they're they're kind of stating facts. Like I know it looks bad to be completely to be completely uh, uh, honest with you, but I mean it, it did happen. You know, when it came to crunch time that they were going to give the ball to Ku coach, he did. It's not made up shit. You know, it's not. It's not that he said, oh, no, 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 I wanted to jump in, and then they told me to stay. No, you said you didn't want to play, and he disappointed yep. the team. You know, that happened, you know. Um, the fact, the migraine thing, I understood, but it happened. It happened. You did it. You know, him and his back, I don't know if I can do this anymore, stepping out, uh, you know, during the series with uh, with Utah. All he, happened. Listen, he can be mad all he wants. He did it to himself. These exactly. events happened. They didn't make this stuff up. Uh, like the last season, his contract situation, yeah, it sucks the contract you have, but you put yourself in that hole. Uh, the owner, what was his name? Um, Jerry, Jerry Reinsort. You told him at the time, like, this is not a good contract for you, but he took a six-year, $18 million deal at that time, and he was feeling the effects of it within the second year. So uh, – Getting that surgery uh, going into the last year, very late into the summer, you chose to do that. You could have done that at the beginning. Yeah, and he did that to get to try to piss off Chicago because he wanted to trade. Yeah, you know? and then you walk in, and well, actually, something else we should talk about is uh, Jerry Krause. Is what what Jerry Krause did? Like, how do you look back at him? Because he did build this team and win these six championships with that team, but you also destroyed it too. That's how I look at it in a way. Is if you had never told Phil you go eighty-two and zero, it doesn't matter. This is your last year. Maybe they win two more championships after this. Who knows? Um, well, it's crazy. I didn't at towards the end of that documentary. I didn't like. Obviously, the cat was out of the bag. Jordan was like, "Look, I would have gone. You signed me for another year. I would. I would. I'm guaranteeing. Like Pippen would have signed. Pippen. He was like, "Oh well, Pippen. You might have had to have done some convincing, but everybody else, like you would have gotten them to sign one-year contracts to then see where you where you would take it, right?" Yeah. And think about the matchups that you would have had, right? Like, think about 99, if I'm not – The Spurs. Taking the Spurs. Spurs. Then, yeah, that's what I was saying. The Spurs, dynasty, man. Dynasty. Then you start getting into that realm. Yeah. Those are some interesting matchups, right? Like, that's a – that's a fan, like, you're starting to think about what could have happened in that moment. You could have essentially had a passing of the torch between Jordan and Kobe right then and there. Yes. Right. And we missed out on that. We ended up getting the Washington Wizards, Michael Jordan years instead, which is kind of forgotten about. And this is that the, that's going to be uh, the last dance part two, uh, season well, two. Well, because <laughs> it, his legacy, his great legacy kind of stops at the end of uh, the last dance because now he, you have the wizard stuff and then you have his executive job as uh, the Chicago uh, or not Chicago, the Charlotte Hornets owner. Charlotte Hornets owner. Yeah. It's the worst team in basketball right now. They're doing a terrible job over there. Can you name a player? Uh, I mean, we're all sports fans, but how many players can you really name on the Charlotte Hornets right now? It's Terry Rozier. It's Cody Zeller. I don't know. <laughs> kid Gilchrist. Two more than I would have said. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Like that team's not good. So he hasn't done a great job post his Chicago Bulls years, which is something they re really didn't touch on. So um, any last thoughts from you guys on the last dance? Other things you want to talk about? Do you think um, do you think he would have if he wouldn't have left, they would have won that year because they got close. Uh, I think Jordan. I think honestly, Jordan, um, the year he left, they could have won had he stayed. Um, obviously it was hard for him. I, one thing, uh, and I'm getting off rails, right? I'll, I'll be, I promise you I'll be right back. But, um, I did not know about Steve Kerr's father. That was, yeah, a, that was I, mean, a, I had no idea about that. And that was crazy how 
amongst themselves they didn't even talk about that and obviously knowing that his father got murdered and jordan's father got murdered that was bizarre to me that uh they that didn't happen however let's go back so i'm thinking jordan doesn't leave because they got pretty goddamn close mm -hmm. you know um without jordan i think had he been there they could have gotten and then had they extended that one-year contract like he said at the end of everything this guy this man could have probably had eight rings they probably could have been just the rulers of the 90 you know like yeah. I think, yes, you got cut off completely. I couldn't hear what you said at the beginning. Go ahead. Uh, that, yeah, like that moment where he, where they got pretty close without him, there's, there's a couple ways to kind of look at it, right? Like there's, that is a grind, right? If you think about going through an 82 game season and going into the playoffs as a player, you are mentally and physically. Oh, no. Exhausted. Yeah, for sure, a hundred percent. That's why I I salute him that he did two three peats, bro. That is, right. you know, fuck. Right. Well, that's where you salute LeBron too. It, what LeBron's doing right now is going to those finals every single year. That's a grind. That's such a hard thing to do, which I respect him for. Yeah, he's got a losing record in it, but boy, it's been a, a mountain hill climb to get to where he is today. So how Jordan, many other players can say that they've been that many times in the finals? Yeah, you don't close, and I understand people are only going to remember the winners. It's something that you do have to hold against him. It honestly is like, especially the first year with the Dallas Mavericks. You know, that's completely on him. You let that, that go. That should he have been did not show up on the fourth quarter. I remember that being the longest joke ever. Because mm -hmm. that guy will dominate quarters one, two, and three, and just he gone. Was gone. <laughs> he was missing. And that. Oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. You know what I think about too, in the sense of, you know, you know how we. Sorry, my daughter is not going to. You know how we we we're very quick as sports fans in general, right? To look at a team and as they go winning, we're like fans revolt. Like they're just like, oh, I don't want to see these guys win anymore, right? So let's say that Jordan go ahead, go, go, like goes doesn't leave, stays, and they win out, right? I think it says more, in my opinion, his legacy and his aura. The fact that he left, they didn't quite do it, and then he comes back and they do it. Like they they, they now he comes back and they win three more, right? Like I think it's almost. Though we would have wanted to see that happen and run straight through all that, I think it just speaks more to like his value and who he was and and how like like what he was to that that organization, the basketball that that he was able to leave and then he came back and he's like, you know what, I'm gonna win three more. Like that's it, we're gonna make this happen. Um, I think it's just two different perspectives on how to look at it because maybe you maybe you end end up hating the Bulls for running the table as much as they well, do. I, I remember growing up, dude. I saw the back to back. Uh, finals with Utah and I obviously am a huge Michael Jordan fan because of Space Jam so I'm like this guy's the goat he played with Bugs Bunny right <laughs> so I remember all my older cousins shitting on Michael Jordan dude shitting on him at that he saw like wanting that's what Tom Brady gets that's what Tom Brady and, it, and Tom I was gonna mention just that god damn it Kyle this is why listen we have the same line <laughs> this is why and I was gonna say that and it's the same thing with Tom Brady yeah. you know me being one of the biggest Brady shit talkers ever in fact I I respect the man more now and i root for him more now like the last i want to say three years or four years i've been rooting for the man um the only i was even rooting for him when he was because i you know hate the eagles so when the eagles beat him i was pissed because i wanted the giants to have that and keep that you know mm -hmm. um 
but I find myself rooting for him so much more now because you're like, you got to give respect when, uh, when uh, credit when credit's due, man. You respect the man. That guy is a, and it's Phil Jackson, and, and it's just like Belichick and Brady. It's Phil Jackson and Jordan. You know, that that's who, who uh, that's the the basketball world, the football world. That's what it is. Right? That's the combo, man. And, you know, like I'm excited to see what Brady does in Tampa. To be completely honest with you, I want to see what he does without Belichick. You know, I'm if we, get, if we ever get sports, yeah. I don't know. <laughs> please, please, we'll do that. I hope yeah, do. I know, I know, I know. But bro, this documentary, I know, Kyle, you said it wasn't the greatest. I really enjoyed the hell out of it, man. I had a lot of fun, despite because a lot of people, uh, I mean, were Horace Grant saying that a lot of it is bullshit. He goes, yeah, it's entertaining, but it's bullshit. I mean. The power of editing, right? It is what it is. I don't feel like what they said was bullshit. I felt like the, maybe the editing was what they what they were upset about because I don't feel like there was any lies. Well, I, I told you what my thing was is we didn't really get into Jordan's life. I, like I told you, we know more about his bodyguards than we do about his family. Like the, his wife never showed up in this documentary at all. Uh, his kids, kids in the very last episode. Yeah, the kids had one line in it. Um, I just want to point out one more thing. This is the funniest part of the entire documentary to me was they were talking. He had a game against the Pacers, and Ron Harper wants to guard Jordan for the last shot. He's like, I got him. I can do this. And they're like, the coach is like, no, nah, I'm going to put this guy in him. And Ron Harper had, delivers the line of the entire documentary saying, yeah, okay, whatever. Whatever. this bullshit. And he never goes back on for the entire documentary, but it's always going to be remembered to me. Um, it's a really good documentary. I had a great time with it. Um, next year, we're going to be getting a Tom Brady documentary in nine parts now because they're going to capitalize on everyone uh, who's been a big winner in sports. So we'll see what happens. Um, but let's move on, guys. Let's I, I, get to our one of the things that you mentioned, uh, the the bad boy Pistons, bro, that honestly was probably one of my favorite things because you, you can see that struggle with Jordan, man. Oh, you yeah. know, and it, just a quick little shout out there, bro. It was, it was. They were bad, man. Like, that, <laughs> they were bad, bro. They didn't yeah. care. They didn't care. No, that, what was it? The Jordan rule? Jordan that, rule. Uh, he's just, up in the, Yeah, man. He's, not, he's on the ground. Yep, get him on the ground. <laughs> it's insane. All right, now you. Can. Uh, okay, so let's uh, let's move on to another sports topic. So our um our top our topic for this week was sports films, and Jader and I came up with six of them. We had some fun ones on there, like uh. I, Tanya, I put on again. Jader put on. Um, what I put was on Warrior. You had Warrior. Warrior. I had Draft Day. On I wanted there. to review it. No one. How many votes did that get? By the way, I don't think even Warrior. Won. Warrior came in second to last place, from what I remember. Warrior is it, man. I'm sorry. It's it's so good. Good. That's it's another fun. one that we're gonna have cool. to review one day because I I'm, I will need to talk about that film. Uh, Moneyball was another one that was on there that was, I was really pulling for Moneyball because I wanted Moneyball. to watch the game again. Yeah. Who did I tell you? Who did I tell you was gonna win though? Listen, every one of your picks is one, I think, every single week. <laughs> so every week. Um, I always came... pick a film. I'm like, this is the one that's going to win. I, already... I know our <laughs> audience. Bro. It's the classic one, and we got Field of Dreams. Field of Dreams ended up being the film that won our poll. And Jader and I were just talking before this. Neither of us have ever seen this film. This is our first time. I just finished it about an hour and a half ago. Um, I got to say, it's a really touching film. It's not like the the best uh, sports film per se, but it's not really about sports. It's to me the theme about this film was uh, respecting the past 
and honoring the past, where you came from, your roots, and kind of holding on to that because the future is always calling Kevin Costner in this film. You know, sell your farm. You're going to make more money off of it. You can't, you can't, you got to move on. And Costner's holding on to the past. So that's what sticks out to me. But Jader, this was your first time watching it too. What stood out for you? What, what did you uh, pick up on? Uh, to be completely honest with you, I started, I started this movie really late last night. I want to say like a little past midnight is when I started right. watching the film. Um, so in the beginning, I was kind of, I'm not going to lie, I was a little bored. Um, I thought this was an all-out sports film. Like I was gonna watch, like you know, some, you know, shit go down, but it wasn't exactly what you said. Um, so I saw about I don't want to say like forty-five minutes, maybe an hour in, maybe. Um, I was like, I'll continue this later. I had to see both episodes of The Last Dance today and the ending of uh, Field of Dreams, and I worked today, but yeah. I got it done. You know, thank God we were slow at work because I was in the back watching the documentary. <laughs> <laughs> but um, um, where was I going? So, but I really loved how much the film picks up in the second half, at least for me, to the point where I was like, this is a great film. Really good film. I don't want to say great. Really good film. It's one of those that I definitely want to revisit to see if I pick up more more things on it. Um, but I really, really enjoyed. I feel like everybody was pretty much on on their game. Um, I did, there was a like maybe a, a scene or two where I was like, I can deal without this. I I didn't like the. Uh, I felt like it was a uh, to uh, you know to throw a curveball into the plot. Little little curveballs here and there. Which the scene for me that sticks out the most is when the brother comes back. Um, after he comes back to Iowa and he's like, you got to sell your thing. And the little girl's choking on the hot dog, that, that whole thing. Yeah, it was a little weird. And then the whole book club scene, whatever, you know, but other than that, James Earl Jones for me killed it. Ray Liotta, man. Let me tell you, Ray Liotta fucking crushed. I felt like, you know, cause you're watching a movie about ghosts or spirits or what have you. And, you know, he just played a very, and Ray Liotta being, uh, I think this came out uh, after he had already done. Uh, before. No? This was before. This was 1989 and uh, Goodfellas was 91. Oh, I could have sworn this was like a 91, 92 film. No, this was uh, 89. Yeah. Holy shit. Okay. Well, imagine. So he did that and then he did Goodfellas literally the next year. Um, so for me, I wasn't used to seeing Liotta yes. and he just played a very cool, very, you know, he wasn't a prick when he needed to be a prick um and he but very very just cool character and i really really liked uh liked him a lot man so you guys want to jump in here i think some of the stuff that stood out to me in this movie and, and being a baseball fan i've probably watched this movie a million times um and it, it but again it's not just about the baseball i think what stands out to me the word that i'm looking for is redemption because all throughout this movie, you see different individuals that are trying to get through that. So like you have Terrence Mann, right? Uh, who is played by James Earl Jones. And his redemption piece is really his view of, or how the public views him, which is why you have the book scene, right? Because he's fighting for that. Uh, yeah. A lot of that playing out. And then you have the redemption piece between uh, Ray and his father um, and, and how that plays out, right? So. But he doesn't know that. He doesn't know how how that's gonna turn out until the end, right? Like you don't see that piece play out until you know, hey, those voices start to make sense. And you also got uh, Ray Liotta's character, Shoeless Joe Jackson, who is now coming into his own kind of 
accepting the afterlife for and, and the thing is like I, I spoke to Jader about this yesterday. So a lot of the stuff that, that people don't realize about Shoeless Joe Jackson is that in nineteen nineteen he was asked to throw the World Series. And he was he was given this opportunity to go ahead, throw it, lose the World Series on purpose, gain some capital for it, right? You know, gamble. And he actually ended up batting the highest batting average in the entire series. He ended up hitting the most home runs in the series. Mm-hmm. It was as if like, he didn't even commit an error that entire series. So it was almost as if he was just like feeling guilty about the fact that he was doing it. And he said, I'm just going to play balls to the wall anyways. So a lot of that, you don't know, like you don't need to know that to watch this movie, but. Well, they explain it to you right at the beginning. Um, how He's kind of explained to his daughter, which is explained. To his daughter when he's, when he's doing right. the field, yeah. Right. So then he, it's kind of like, all right, I get an opportunity to come in and play on this field that you've built mm-hmm. to kind of make up for the sins in a sense that I've, I've, I've done, right? Yeah. Um, so there's a lot of like faith and redemption and a lot of that going on. And then what ties the knot is, for me, at least from 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 the perspective of what I've been through with my father and, and baseball and how that correlates, you know, it does hit home. It does hit home in that sense. So you get the opportunity to throw a baseball with your dad after you fight with him and then like he didn't even know. Like he's looking at this guy, like, oh my God, like I I, I realize now who this is. And he calls him dad. The guy doesn't even know. So it, it's just it, it's a good movie, uh good family movie in that sense, right? Like it brings everything together. That's how I felt about it. Well that was that was my main thing was the ending, dude. I I saw it coming. Um I didn't know when it was coming. I didn't know that his dad was gonna be on the field. I thought his dad was gonna come out of the cornfield and be like, I'm here, like that's how I thought it was gonna go down. I didn't know he was like, and I knew he played baseball, which was stupid that I didn't pick it up. But I did see that ending coming, and it still hit me, even though I was expecting it, bro. I had like a knot right here at the end, and I was like, "Damn, this sucked." Because it doesn't. I mean, it doesn't. You don't have to lose a fan. Just anyone that you want to talk to to have that ability to have that that uh, moment one uh, one more time. That hit home. It really, really did hit home. Um, I have a little bit of theory, but I want to hear, obviously, Kyle's thoughts. Um, let's go. Well, it took me a little bit to get on board with where what this movie was. Because you, you, he hears a voice, and he just goes and builds a baseball field. Which, by the way, the editing the, doesn't work for me with that. Because it looks like he built the baseball field in one day. Entire okay. day. Super like, fast. Yeah, yeah, I said the same thing. I'm like, how much it time has passed? It looks perfect. Yeah, yeah, it's like you got the lights and everything too. Just you, you spent all your state once in a bank. No wonder you're bankrupt, dude. <laughs> I know you had those sitting in the shed or something. But um, and then all of a sudden, uh, Ray Liotta shows up, which it reminded me of the movie Us when uh, Karen shows up and she goes, "Daddy, there's a man outside." And remember in the movie Us when the little boys like, "There's a family yeah, yeah. in our driveway." Um, and then you see him standing out there. I'm like, this is weird. Why is there people just showing up to his baseball field? Uh, they're just you know now they're ghosts and they're disappearing and i wasn't on board of what was happening yet but then once you kind of accept that this isn't a, a realistic movie this is a movie, a kind of a fantasy it's a fantasy yeah yeah then once you accept that and lock in on that then you can really enjoy this film um and like you brought up james earl jones i thought james earl jones was the mvp of this film he was great uh, absolutely he, he is great. fantastic as this writer the scene where uh costner first meets him inside of the his apartment is probably one of my favorite scenes in the film just say <laughs> costner said or not costner um or J- angel jones is telling that he's from the 60s and starts trying to spray him out of the apartment <laughs> it's a lot it's a lot of fun so i was on board of this movie i kind of want to get to some uh questions to you guys 
What's the most rewatchable scene for you? What's the scene that if you had to go back and only watch one scene in this film, what would it be? Let's start with you, Marco. You've seen this movie more than us. Yeah. I, I gotta say when um when Moonlight Graham crosses over, um okay. just because most guys would kill for like those that play baseball, right? Like whatever, or any sport. Most guys would kill for one at bat or a minute on the court or whatever that looks like. And to kind of tell yourself that you have a bigger purpose than just playing the game that you love the most, mm-hmm. accepting that, that is something that even now, like granted, I'm not, I, I, I'm not saying that I could have been a major leaguer at all, but to accept when you have to hang up your cleats because you have a bigger purpose, like that is a hard thing for an athlete to go through. Um, and I think that that's what stood out to me because I've had a moment like that, right? Like I, when I had kids, it was like, I, that's it. Like, I can't, I can't chase a dream anymore. Right. I can't go playing in these Sunday leagues all the time and hoping I get, get looked at whatever, whatever that looks like. Right. Um, and I think him crossing over, it was him accepting that it was like, I can't play baseball for the rest of my life. I gotta be a doctor. And this is what I, this is what I want to do because it allows me to help people in a different way. So that's powerful. I'm going to go the opposite direction because I was going to say I was well I was going to say the opposite. Um, I know you said the MVP was uh, was James Earl Jones and I agree with you 100. percent But Burt Lancaster was right behind him in my opinion. Every scene that he was in was fantastic. And he only was halfway through the film. It's like two scenes. And even two scenes. And that for me, that's what I mean. He was impactful as hell because I loved him. I loved Moonlight Graham as a, the character. But it was for me when. When uh, Shoeless Joe Jackson looks at him, he goes, you're moving like that, man. Well, suit up. And he's there, and he winks at the guy. And, you know, that whole scene for me was so powerful, dude. It was mm-hmm. so, so great. Transitioning to what he had to do and what he let go. And it's exactly what you said. I'm not, I've never played a lot of sports. I played sports. The last time I played any sports was, like, high school, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know – I can only imagine as an athlete to see, even though, and that's, it's kind of crazy because I know what the scene meant, but I kind of felt like it was stupid because if the girl's choking on a goddamn hot dog, you don't think that Kevin Costner has like me as a parent. I'm like, dude, just smack her in the back and that's it. Let the man play. You know, you don't need a doctor for that. But I understood the purpose of the scene. That was, I'm telling you, three scenes that bothered me and it was the, the book, which we know every scene has the purpose. I just felt like stupid, um, but the hot, that thing in the, the you know the girl little girl choking all that stuff I was like I was like dude three packs the guy hit her twice and the hot dog was out you know but I knew why it had to be done but um, I like everything with everything with Moonlight Graham from the hitchhiking when he says his name the way they look at each other and I'm like even me I was like oh shit look. You know, and then and then seeing him on the field with the player, him looking and then you know seeing it all, like just yeah, like, wow, exactly, exactly. And as a, even as a fan of the sport, like you said, like you don't have to be an athlete, but if they tell you like, hey man, you know you can you can play with the, we'll go back to the last dance. We can play with you can play a game with Jordan. You know you're gonna get annihilated, but you can say that hey, I got to play with Michael Jordan on the court. You mm-hmm. know. And that was the same for him. So that scene was great for me. Like that, from that to the to the you know the acceptance of what he had to do, it was probably my favorite scene in the whole in the whole film. 
I want to do a quick shout out to the scene where Kevin Costner's wife calls out the uh, at the PTA meeting, calling out the woman for wanting the burn books. Uh, that was so funny, and just whenever she's she's just roasting her for being like a Nazi, that, that that was great. I love whenever someone who's wrong gets completely destroyed by someone who's a lot smarter than them in any film. Um, but my scene, if, to me, I don't know why this sticks out. It's when James Earl Jones and Kevin Costner are going back to James Earl Jones's house. And Costner's ready to just drop him off. And you clearly, I don't need you. You clearly aren't hearing what I'm hearing. Get out the car. And James Earl Jones is kind of just playing along. Costner does a complete U-turn to come back. And boom, there's James Earl Jones standing right in front of him. I love that moment because then he's like, you got it too. I'm not crazy. You're figuring out this with me. And then they're like, they're like buddies for the rest of this film. I love that. Um, some quick fun facts about this film that I looked up. Um, there's a. They actually built a baseball diamond in Iowa for this film, and the owners of that farm sell souvenirs and have people come in and play baseball games there all the time. So I think that's a lot of fun. Yep. This film was originally supposed to be called Shoeless. It was going to be about uh, Shoeless Joe Jackson, which that would have been a terrible name because yep. this film is not about Shoeless Joe Jackson at all. It's about uh, the. Whole, it's about basically everyone in the film, really. It's yeah. not a singular person thing. So um, I, I think that's a good thing. Uh, the baseball park where they're playing, uh, the, the Fenway Park, where that's uh, Ben Affleck and Matt Damon are in the crowd there. They're actually oh. experts in the crowd there. I did not know this at all. And then when um, Ben Affleck went to go work with the director again for Some of All Fears, he said, it's nice to be working with you again. And the director had no idea that he worked with Ben Affleck already. That's so hilarious. I thought that was pretty fun. Uh, this was the last film of Burt Lancaster, which yeah. is, you know, this is a really good, like, touching thing. Like, on the, on, you guys said how great he was. Bill Simmons on his podcast has an award called the Dion Waiters Award, where it's the best heat check performance. They come in, they fire off a couple scenes, they're great, and then they get out of there. That's Burt Lancaster in this film. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Absolutely, dude. Absolutely. I'm telling you, like, he was in that film for so little, and he was one of the most impactful characters. I just loved everything about James Earl Jones, the speech at the end, the whole nine. Um, that's what gave him that that edge. And James Earl Jones is pretty much fantastic in anything that he's in. But yeah. Burt Lancaster being for the film, for the it's kind of like what we said last week with the uh, the Wolf of Wall Street. Was it last week or two weeks ago? I don't know. No, it was two with, weeks. Two weeks ago with with McConaughey. Yeah. How he was in the movie for less than less than ten minutes, and he was one of the MVPs of the film. You know. Yeah. And it goes it goes with uh, Burt Lancaster as well. I loved his character in this film. It's probably my favorite character. I just know that James Earl Jones brought it, you know? Yeah, yeah Major League Baseball has actually taken that field, and now I think they have, if not exhibition games, I think they have one regular season game um, in in Iowa on that yeah. field now. Oh, wow. You can see just how much this movie means to the baseball community. It's, it's beloved by not just – uh, regular fans with sports fans too. And when sports fans hold on to a film, that's a special thing because a lot of the times they don't like sports films because they're not completely accurate to what the sport is. So to get sports fans on board with something is really something. Um, I want to talk Oscars. This movie was nominated for Best Picture. It yeah. didn't win anything, but it was nominated for Best Picture, uh, Best Writing, and I had one more. Uh, best writing. Uh, and best music. I think it was music. Uh, best music was one of the awards. I remember that because I liked the actual scene. Actually, the first time you see Shooters Joe Jackson, thought that scene played out perfectly. How he's walking alone uh, in the dark 
but the music playing once the light turns on and he looks like I thought that was just beautifully shot. I love that scene a lot. And the wife, I like the wife. We um, let me tell you about her. At first, she was kind of like I don't know if she was bothering me because she was kind of like for, uh, for crazy, crazy. Yeah. yeah, she was like that. But I loved how on board she was a she realistic was character because she was really on board while actually being like we are gonna go bankrupt because there was that serious scene right before the scene that i just mentioned where karen tells him there's a man on your on your yard on our yard on our backyard or whatever yeah um but i love how the wife was kind of like hey like um i'm all for this but what's the purpose of doing this because you know we're we're out we're bankrupt right now so i kind of I first didn't like her character, and I ended up really liking her character at the end of the film. At first, I was like, I'm like, what is she trying to do? Like, I don't know. It was something about the way that it was acted that I just didn't get it. And I thought this movie, I didn't know this movie was more of a fantasy. And that's yeah. another thing, Kyle, you kind of hit that uh, nail on the head. Um, I didn't know that. But once I accepted it, I was like all for it, you know? Yeah. Now, quick question before you get back. Do you think, and this is, and my theory it I, I proved myself wrong, but it makes sense. Did you think that Terrence Mann was dead? So that's one of the, my unanswerable questions. I That's the first thing I asked because I was watching it with my grandmother. It's the first thing I asked when this film was done. I'm like, well, what happened to James Earl Jones? Like, did, did he just, uh, he, Kevin Costner asked him, hey, can you uh, can tell me all Are about, write a, he's like, I'm going to write, gonna write about this the whole nine. And he's like, yeah, I'm going to write. That's what I do. I'm a writer. Now, for me, it goes back to, it, it makes perfect sense that he's dead. But there's two scenes that kind of like kill that for me, right? But everything else, so the scene, which this scene made me laugh when he's like, what do you want? And he goes on this spiel that he doesn't want to be dependent. He wants to be left alone. And then uh, Kevin Costner's like, no, what do you want? Like, do you want a hot dog or a beer or whatever? And he's like, oh. So that scene, obviously people are seeing. And then the brother, when he, he they first get back to the field and the brother's trying to make him sell the property, the brother shakes his hand. He goes, oh, who's this, Elvis? And he's laughing. So he was seen. You get me? But everything else for me, it's like a whole sixth sense Bruce Willis feel to it. Because even at the end, then I'm like, well, was he dead or did did he die on the field? Like, because he never comes back. You don't know what the hell happened. You don't know where he goes. It may for me, I was like, oh, maybe he was brought there to die. But you you know, it's just weird for me because you don't see anything else. But it really stuck to my head. I'm like, did he die or was he dead? But they never answer that, so I don't know how you got. If you guys ever even, I, well, obviously Kyle did. I don't know if you ever did, Marco. On uh, I, I never. When I saw this movie, uh, and as many times as I saw it, I never, I never saw it as he died. Like I always saw it as okay, he he needed to cross over. He was invited to cross over to kind of tell the story of of what these players go through or what's on the other side, right? Yeah. Obviously, you don't see him come back to tell it. But I don't, I don't, I never, I never even thought of that. I never thought, okay, he was passing away. I looked at it more of like, this was his purpose. His purpose so, was to go ahead and tell the story of these individuals um, in some way, shape or form. Because of the well, way. So I think like halfway through the scene, since he was able to see what was on the sign when, when they went to Fenway and all that, I didn't think that he was going to die. Like I got that at the end when they invited him, when Ray Liotta's like, can you come? But I started guessing, and I'm like, is he dead? Is he one of these ghosts that he can't see? And then there's all that just, I don't know why. Like, it 
for me, it was like an immediate reaction to me where I was just like, I think he's dead. He, you know, I, I think I got it. He is dead um, because it's established in this film that just because just because other people are just you don't have to see like someone ha can't be invisible to someone else, you know, um, that just because Costner can see him doesn't mean no one else can. You see that his family's able to see all the players and um, the brothers eventually to see all the players and all these people show up afterwards. So it's established that Kevin Costner is not the only one who can see dead people. But you really don't see James Earl Jones interact with a lot of people. Like you said, the hot dog people. But also no. maybe they understand who he, like he's appearing to them because that's what needs to be done at this moment. But nothing I mean, was there was no there was no dialogue between them. They're just staring blankly. And that's yeah. another thing. The only person that really interacts besides the wife and, and Karen is the brother that didn't right. believe. You get but me? He's the only one that shakes his hand, and that's when he goes, oh, he's his Elvis, and he's like there, and James Earl Jones laughs. That's it. Other than that, and I think there's one more other person, but at the same time, are they ghosts? I don't know. Like, my mind went, like, everywhere watching it this, man. It feels like he didn't let go. He wasn't, oh, like, accepted into heaven yet, because this heaven and, heaven and purgatory, purgatory. established yeah. in this film when um the father asks, is this heaven? And it's almost like Kevin Costner was able to grab him out of purgatory and bring him back to heaven where um, Ray Liotta takes him in. Joe Jackson, Joe Jackson takes him in. I think that's the point they're trying to make. So if I had to decide, I would say that he is dead. It's tough because to your point, yeah, he, he, he shook the brother's hand, but the brother didn't see the people on the field until after everything had occurred. So yeah. what was the brother's purpose in actually seeing that soul or that spirit or whatever it was, right? So it can get dicey if you think about it, but I, I, I understand how you guys could see that, but I guess me growing up, I never made that correlation, right? Like as a kid, like I, maybe that just didn't click in my head. So when you ask that question, it's, it's an interesting concept. It's interesting to really think That's about. That's the only scene, the brother scene is the only thing that I feel like debunks my theory. But other than that, rewatch the film now seeing this, and you are you're gonna get like a sick like the first the first time you saw Six Sense, no one saw that twist coming. The second time you pick up on it, you not pick up on it, but you notice how there's no interaction really. Well, even with like in the Last Jedi, when um, Luke Skywalker shows up at the end battle, but he's not yeah. actually there. The first time you're like, oh, that's a cool twist. But the second time you pick up on stuff that he wasn't actually there the entire time. You know, his feet moving on the ground. You don't see that the salt picks up. So there's stuff. There's little hints. So it's it's one of those films that has those uh, those little things that make it fun to go back and rewatch. I want to get back to the Oscars real quick. This film lost to My Left Foot, Dead Poet Society, Born on the Fourth of July, and Driving Miss Daisy was the film that won Best Picture this year. This to me is one of the ultimate uh, snub years for other films because 1989 was a really good year for film. I'm bringing it up here right now, but some of the other things that came out were uh, Glory. And the Abyss, uh, 1989's Batman, you have um, The Little Mermaid, When Harry Met Sally, The Last Crusade, Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure, Say Anything. And I think the biggest one to me that didn't get nominated was Do the Right Thing by Spike Lee's Master. Holy shit. Didn't uh, get nominated. So the, does Field of Dreams deserve that nomination? It got, keep in mind at the time, only five nominees at the, could be in the best picture category. So this not, not over, not over do the right thing, which no. I saw recently, which I saw recently. And that is a fantastic film. Yes. Um, 
Last Cruise, I mean, I, and I we talked, we reviewed the Last Crusade last week, you know, uh, coincidentally. Um, but even I had even more, you know, it's a different feel, different film, obviously. But I even I think the Last Crusade is even a superior film to this. You know, I, and I, and I would wrong. put in When Harry Met Sally over. Um, actually, I would take out Born on the Fourth of July, My Left Foot, and the one that won, Driving Miss Daisy, because that's one of the ones people look back at as a very problematic film at its at, for now to win Best Picture over something like Do the Right Thing. It was brought back up two years ago when Green Book beat Black Klansman at the Oscars. People were really frustrated about that because right, you want another, another Spike Lee joint. Yeah, he, he got screwed over twice. He really did. So, I, like, when you guys look at this, how do you feel about the nominees? And did uh, Bill of Dreams even deserve to be in there? I was kind of shocked when I read that it did get nominated for an Oscar. It, it didn't feel like an Oscar film for me mm -hmm. to be. It's it's a it's a good film. Um, I enjoyed the hell out of it. Uh, it I will be rewatching this again because again, I kind of want to prove my theory more besides that one scene that scene that debunks it but i do want to see it again and i want to see it obviously from the beginning like i said in the the first 40 minutes to an hour i was kind of like Ugh. like it just it had a better ending for me the better second half but now that i know what i'm expecting some movies get better the second time around once you know what you're what you got yourself into right yeah so this is definitely a movie that i, I do want to uh revisit but not once, not once did I watch this film. I'm like, I wonder if this got nominated for an Oscar because it deserved to. Not once, you know? And, and that's okay. How many movies that that we love, you know, didn't get nominated for an uh don't get nominated for an Oscar, but I didn't get that feeling whatsoever. So yeah, I would probably take that. Uh Born on the Fourth of July is more Oscar Beatty. It's not a it's not, you know, that one I can see. Uh, more. Um, I'm not crazy about Oliver Stone. There's very few films of him that I really do like. Um, I remember being bored out of my mind watching The Born on the Fourth of July when I was growing up because mm. uh, I saw that movie very young. I saw that movie when I was like eight or nine. Um, that was Tom but, Cruise going for his Oscar. That was his yeah. big his big swing. And then he kind of just like, you know what? I'm just going to do whatever. And if I get the nomination, I get the nomination, which you see with Jerry Maguire later on. Um, but Marco, do you have any uh, opinions on this Oscar conversation? No, I, um, I'll be honest. Like, I don't, I don't, uh, I, I can't familiarize myself with most of the movies that you guys have mentioned that were part of that list. But I will say, I never got that feeling as if Field of Dreams should have been part of anything that involved an Oscar, in my opinion. Yeah. <laughs> I think if you looked at the list of names on, you know, obviously the cast, right? It's easy to kind of in for that time to be like, okay, maybe it's the cat that, that maybe kind of carried that assumption of mm -hmm. being on that, uh, that list. But, you know, you guys know more than I do in that sense, but but I, I never felt that. I never felt like this was an, uh, an Oscar Award winning picture, no. If anything, no, I feel like, if anything, music. Music is the one thing, because I told you, that scene for me with, with, uh, with uh, Leota, when he's on the field, like the music made that for me. So I can see how that that nomination got in there because that was the out first of, thing I thought about. Out of the five that got nominated, to me, this one has had the best legacy ever since. Like I said, Driving Miss Daisy, Born on the Fourth of July, My Left Foot, and um, Dead Poet Society. I think this is the one that's really stuck in the public conscious, as evidenced by it winning our poll for the longest time. So I I think that's more of a win itself than Driving Miss Daisy winning Best Picture. Uh, I got two more questions for you guys. Apex right. Mountain. 
this is a question I like to bring up every single week. Is anybody in this film at like, is this anyone's apex mountain in this film? So the definition of that being, this was the best they were ever at in their careers. This is the, the height of their powers. Um, does that suit for anyone? Because to me, James Earl Jones, obviously not, because uh, he's got his Darth Vader and Mufasa. It's not Ray Liotta because the Goodfellas is for him. Yeah, I think you can make a case for Phil Alden Robinson, the director. Yeah, really, because I know I know he did some of our fears. I think did he write? Uh, I mean, did he direct sneakers? Because I know I saw three films that I, he did. Right, sneakers. Yeah, yeah. So sneak uh, for me, it goes in that order. Feel the dream, sneakers, and and some of our fears. I wasn't too crazy about some of our fears. Um. So yeah, maybe the director's apex mountain. Actually, no. It is. It is the director's apex mountain because put anybody else. That's that's in that in in uh, field of dreams. Nope, Marco. No, I don't. I don't think so. I'll, although I I know Kevin Costner in like in the I guess in the be baseball world, like to a lot of the the people that replay like that those thoughts of like baseball movie and scenes and actors, like he is talked about over and over again because he he's done Bull Durham, right? So he's he's been involved with baseball in that sense. So Bur Bur Love of the game, yeah, yeah, he's not, he's not like he is. Yeah, uh, to me, this, this is Costner. This is in the middle of Costner's apex mountain. I think apex his apex mountain is eighty seven to ninety three, where you get Bull Durham, and then you or no, you get uh, the Untouchables, and then Bull Durham, and then you get Field of Dreams, and, and the then you, well, then it ends with the Bodyguard. But in between there, you have Dances with Wolves, which people don't look back at too fondly. But he won his Oscar there. He got his yeah. it was his wins. Then the bodyguard, and then ever since after the bodyguard, which was kind of like the one of the biggest movies he's ever been in, he's gone into these supporting roles. You know, he's Clark Kent's dad in the Man of Steel films. He's Molly, uh, Molly's dad in Molly's Game, and all these. Which things. he fucking crushes in that movie. Right. Oh, absolutely. He's so great in Molly's Game. But um, one more yeah. Apex Mountain I'll throw out is uh, baseball and films. The, the major Major League Baseball and films. Uh, because I don't think the MLBs really achieved those heights in any other film. Maybe Moneyball. Moneyball might be the only one, but can you think of anything else? Major League. Major League, Major right? League. Okay. I was going to say Major League. And I, and I, you don't like it? No, I, I love it. I love it. But no, I, no, no, you, you, I meant oh, you. Mark. No, I just don't know if it's, is it above, like, as far as popularity, the, the, the real dreams? The natural, you have the natural as well. I don't know if you natural. guys have ever natural, but. Yeah, it's a Robert, know, Robert Redford. Yeah. The natural is, is uh that's probably one of my um, favorite, if not the favorite, uh, baseball movie. That's usually the number one baseball movie. If we would have done just baseball films, I guarantee you, Kyle, that the natural probably would have won. Or or uh Boulder. Or I don't Boulder. think so. I, I don't think so. I think this film would have still won. Because, yeah. That's yeah. interesting. I, think I don't know, man. A lot of my friends that like natural. love these films, dude. I I the natural is like number one every time. Uh, I was okay. gonna put the Sandlot. The Sandlot. <laughs> I love that movie, dude. Yep. Um, All right, last question then. Who won the movie? James Earl Jones, man. It's 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 right there, dude. I'm telling you, though that that's for me the MVP. Um, and with Bert, and and for me, Bert was literally like a. I don't even want to say an inch, man, a millimeter behind him because he was just so impacting in the film. Um, but James Earl Jones made me laugh, man. He made it just in that scene at the end. And he warned me about that that speech, dude. I love that speech at the end. 
that speech um, like echoes through a lot of a lot of uh, I guess like again I refer to it baseball players like you can't talk to a baseball player and not have you mention a piece of that speech and not have them register where it came from or who it, who it was said by. Uh, and I think that alone speaks to the significance of James Earl Jones and, and just of that speech in that movie. Uh, so for me, it's him, definitely. Yeah, I agree with you guys. It is James Earl Jones. His voice is so powerful and it's so engaging where, where no matter what he's in, you're paying attention to him because it just of it's like the gravitas he demands it, it. You're just always locked in on him. And in this film, I bought him as almost like a, a semi father figure for Costner, you know, they are kind of, yeah, well, that's kind of what happened. He took over that father figure since, you know, that, that was what was missing. You yeah. Know? So really I, worked. Got, I, I got that too. So yeah, James Earl Jones is the MVP for all of us, like we've been saying. I, I guess, yeah, you could say he won the movie. Um, so yeah, thank you guys for joining us this week. I thought this was a really fun show, guys. Um, yeah. We got to talk some uh, some Last Dance. We got to talk about uh, Superman and Field of Dreams. So it was a lot of fun. Uh, Marco, uh, thank you for joining us, man. Thank you so much for jumping on the show and being a part of this. Uh, Jader, Thanks, thank you for bringing him on. No, no problem. I thought it was the perfect episode for you, brother. Thank you guys so much. Like this was a lot of fun, different experience. I'll say that for sure. But uh, but definitely a lot of fun, man. We'll have you on again when I I, I already know where, where we're gonna be at, man. So yeah, if we yeah. ever discuss the Dark Knight, I'll get you on. because uh, <laughs> he, he hates it. Oh, I'll stop it. No, no, no. <laughs> you let me know. I'm ready. I'll be here. I will, brother. Thanks for jumping on, man. Thank you, no guys. Thank you so much, Kyle. Nice meeting you, bud. Yeah, I'll see you tomorrow. Thank you, Marco. And thank you, everyone else, for watching with us. Jada, we had a lot of people watching us today. We actually did we pretty did. good numbers so, throughout. So I'm really happy about it. Guys, tune thank in guys. next week for another episode. Uh, next week is our franchise uh, episode. So we're Jader and I are going to come up with a franchise. Uh, you guys are going to maybe vote on it. We're going to discuss that after this. But um, we're going to let's not a make it a Let's not make it a 22-film franchise because I don't no. want to – not this time, but I told you, Marco, we did a uh, four-hour Marvel episode, and I wanted to shoot my brains out at hour oh like three. <laughs> Absolutely exhausted. So that won't happen next week, but we will get a franchise to talk about. We'll discuss after this. But thank you guys so much for joining us, and we'll see you next time on the Jader and Kyle Show. Peace out, guys.